God bless you. I uh, want to get back into <clears throat> the book of Daniel this morning. And uh, I want to just tell you that the book of Daniel is one of the most interesting books in the entire Bible. And uh, it's uh, not always easy to teach, but I try to make it as simple and as plain as I possibly can. And uh, I also am aware that as we pass through the book of Daniel, as we're doing now, I don't know when we'll be passing through it again. So uh, I would advise you to take notes or make, make, make sure you, uh, you know, make a mental note of something of certain things and areas that we cross because I'm going to talk to you here today about something very important. And this is one of the reasons that I have taken on the book of Daniel <clears throat> here in, in this year, 2017. And I'm going to try to bring this out to you here today. But uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Antichrist and also where the Antichrist may come from, what part of the world, what country that he may come out of. And I'm going to give you scripture. I do not believe in just, you know, thinking off the top of my head, but to try to give you scripture to show you what the Bible has to say about it. Daniel is uh, one of the basic books of prophecy. Uh, Isaiah and other uh, writers before Daniel spoke of certain things, but they spoke of them in just maybe a little measurement of here and there. But Daniel, whenever he was in exile and he was in Babylon later in the media Persian Empire, uh, the, uh, the Lord revealed to him many things, and angels came and visited him. He had uh, four major visions in which Gabriel came and talked to him and toward the end of that period of time, Gabriel spent time explaining to Daniel what these things would mean. And when Daniel would say at the very end, the last chapter of the book of Daniel, Daniel said, well, what about this? What about? And finally, Gabriel just said to Daniel, Daniel, close up the book, seal it. You're not going to understand everything. It'll all unfold toward the end of time. You'll stand with your own generation and then stand in the end time before God with everybody else. So in, in essence, I'm just saying it like that. So what I want to do here today <clears throat> is start in chapter 8. And I want to refer to a vision that Daniel had here. If you look in 8.2, I'm just going to read the first few, ver few words here. And I saw in a vision. So Daniel was having a vision here. And whenever he did, uh, this is what he saw. Look at verse 3. I'm, I'm skipping some verses to save time so that we can read the pertinent verses that I want to be able to cover. Look at 8 and 3. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and this is the vision that he saw. And I saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. Now, uh, I've shown some of these things before, but I'm going to try to connect some dots here today if I can. And uh, I'm just using this as an overhead so that we can have a visual a little bit. This is a ram. Brother, uh, one of our brethren uh, put this together for us. But here's a, here's a picture of a ram. And so he says here in this third verse, Then I lifted up my eyes and I saw a ram. Behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. This would, we'll see in a few moments, will represent the media Persian Empire. 
and the media Persian Empire, the Medes came up first, Darius, the first king. And then after that, the, the Persians uh, would be the stronger of the two, the two unifications of that media Persian Empire. It would be the, uh, the Persian side of it. And so it says that the latter horn came up last. Verse 4, and I saw the, rain, the, the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but, and I'm going on reading here, but according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat. Now, let me show you a picture of a he-goat here. This is a billy goat, as we would call it. Okay. Now, he says, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the, he go- and the goat had a notable horn. No- take note of this. Not, uh, this is notable horn that was very prominent between his eyes. This goat picture, of course, doesn't have that, but this is what they saw in the vision. Daniel did. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which had... Uh, the two horns, it came to the, they had the two horns. Let me show this picture. These are just visuals. So here they are looking at each other. And, uh, <clears throat> and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. Let me read verse seven. I saw him come close into the ram and he was moved with choler and against him and smote the ram and break his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, stomped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Now, you've got two, two, two animals here. These two animals are identified over here in verses 20 and 21 in chapter 8. If you look very quickly there. And I know I'm doing a little repetitious stuff here, but stay with me because I'm going to connect all the dots in a moment. Look at verse 20. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of the Media and Persia. So the Bible itself identifies them who they are. The Medes and the Persians were the ones that conquered Babylon. They conquered Babylon. Babylon conquered Israel, and then the Media Persians conquered uh, conquered the Babylonians. Daniel being next almost next to the king in the Babylonian Empire was also made next to the king in the Media Persian Empire. He was a very prominent person in that em- in all those empires. And then verse 21, I'm reading verse 21 now, and the rough goat, or the he goat, or the billy goat, is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. And we know that to be, of course, Alexander the Great who led the Grecian uh, Empire, or led the Grecians over to fight against the Media Persian Empire and overthrew them. Now, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read verse 8. If you go back to verse 8, where we're reading, chapter 8 and verse 8, and uh, we talked about how the ram ran at him and none could deliver him out of his hand. Verse 8 says, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones 
toward the four winds of heaven. Now notice that. And then, and then over in verse 22, 21, 20 and 21, verse 22 pretty well says the same thing. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. In other words, the, the Alexander the Great, and let me give you a little background here. And, uh, Alexander the Great came against the media Persian Empire and defeated them in 330 AD, uh, BC. 330 BC, he conquered them. Alexander the Great was only 26 years old at that time. And he had conquered the world, so to speak, the then known world. And uh, was a powerful person, had a great army. And uh, he, was a, he was a Macedonian who uh, had conquered Greece very early on and, and then rallied the Greeks to support him, go with him and be with him. And in his travels, he advanced and promoted the Greek culture. And everywhere he went, he, he established that. The city of Alexandria, Egypt, was named after him. It, in the ancient world, it was one of the greatest cities in the world for a library. Had a li- had more books than any other city in, in the then-known world at that time. And uh, so he advanced that Greek culture. And wherever they went, they did that. They advanced the Greek culture, feeling like it was superior greater, better than anybody else's culture it was, and eventually fought the media Persians and defeated them. Uh, and, uh, and whenever he did, of course, Alexander the Great became the great, uh, the great honcho, you know. And so he was in power only for seven years, seven years. And uh, in 323 B.C., Alexander the Great died. And uh, I've read in medical books, and I'm just throwing this out for what it's worth, and I just, something I've read, I don't know how valid it is, but in some medical books I've read where the doctors believe that he died of syphilis. So I'll just leave that for whatever it's worth. But he died at the age of 33 years old. So he was a very young man when he died. And this is what the Bible prophecy of Daniel, who lived for two or three hundred years before him, uh, Daniel received the prophecy about this man coming. So I'm just telling you here how exact uh, prophecy is because Daniel, in the book of Daniel, prophesied it, and history bears it all out. And so then this kingdom of Alexandria was divided up into four parts, and this is where we're going here today. And uh, if you look in, uh, if you look with us in. Well, I just read those verses. I want you to go to chapter 11 for a moment. This is referred to again by the angel Gabriel in a later vision when he talked to Daniel. Go to uh, Daniel 11.2. And it says, and this is Gabriel speaking here to Daniel. It says, and now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength and through his riches shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. And that's exactly what this last Persian king did and made the Greeks mad and they came after him. And that's how Alexander the Great finally conquered the world. And a mighty king, that is of the Greeks, shall stand up. That shall rule with a great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken. That is the kingdom he established and shall be divided toward the four winds, the four winds. That's the four that's mentioned, the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled 
for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. And uh, there is a uh, there's a vision that Daniel had in the seventh chapter in which the Grecian Empire was was looked at and described, and it was described as this, as a leopard having four heads and four wings. So we know that the four is very significant here with this Grecian Empire. Now let me tell you what happened here whenever Alexander the Great conquered the then known world, and then he died and his kingdom was broken up. His kingdom was broken up into four parts, and four of his generals, each one took a portion of his kingdom. They just sort of, I don't think they sit down and just divided up equally, but they were called the, the Diodaci, which is the word Diodaci means the successors. And uh, the Diodaci is a, is a plural word in the Greek, and it means successors, and they have what they call the War of the Diodaches. That is that these generals fought each other, trying to see who can get the biggest chunk of the property and biggest part of the kingdom that was left from Alexander and so forth. It's called the War of the Diodaci, very popular in history, very much known and so forth. Let me put this map here, and I'm only going to give you another map in a moment that may show it a little bit better. If you look at this for just a moment, uh, let me sort of explain it to you, because I know you can't read a lot of things there. But this is the Mediterranean Sea right in here, the Mediterranean Sea that works this way right on down from way over here, the, the Straits of Gibraltar right in Spain, right on down to Italy here, Greece in here, uh, Macedonia up here north of Greece. This is Turkey right in here, and this is the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Syria is right here. Israel is right here, just below it, and I know you can't see much there, and I will show you another map in a moment. And then as you go further west, there's, uh, there's Iraq and Iran and so forth. Now, I'm going to show you another map that is going to be closer up, but it will not show these other places up here. But take note, Greece, Macedonia are here, and uh, this, this is Turkey here. And it stretches all the way, way over here, but not all the way across, but part of it. And most of that area that we know today is Turkey. Now, this is a map that is that same area. Let me get it more in line here. This is a map of that same area, and the red lines denote the boundaries of modern-day countries. Now, I, I want you to look very closely here. Forget the red, the dark letters. Look at the red letters. This is Turkey up in here. What happened was that there these four generals, one was called Antip uh, Antipatris, one was called Antigonus, and Antipatris took over Macedonia and Greece. He took Alexander the Great's son, who was retarded, and used him to put himself on the throne and to run the country. And, and then he became head of the Greece and Macedonia area, which, was, which is up in here above this area of Turkey, back in, up north here. And we won't go back on the other map to show that. Uh, the other was, uh, was Antigonus, who was uh, the Turkish, Turkish Empire. All of this he inherited here. Now, the other two are the two that's significant with the Bible. And the reason I'm pointing all this out to you is because the Bible and Daniel really focuses on these next two empires that were the, that was a fourth part of the old Alexander the Great's empire. One was Syria, and it was taken over by, 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 the, by Seleucius, who was one of the generals. 
and he took over Syria, and Syria incorporated uh, Iraq, Syria, Iraq, and Iran, so that his empire, starting from where my, my black, uh, right here, black part of my pen is, and it spread clear over in here. It was like a sweep. And this was Seleucius' part of the empire that he took. The other was taken over by Ptolemy, spelt with a P, P-T-O-L-E-M-E-Y. And so Ptolemy took over Egypt and Libya and everything, Ethiopia, and everything that was south that the Persians had conquered and that Alexander the Great had conquered behind them. And what I'm trying to show you here is that there were these, these were the four parts, but the Bible is only interested in those last two. Everybody still with me? And they came to be called the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And the reason is because Syria and everything that was east of there was the king that was north of Jerusalem. Here is Jerusalem right here where my pen is. This is Jerusalem and this is, this is Palestine right in here. And this is Syria that's north of there. The reason I'm telling you all of that is because a lot of the things that the Bible prophesied would happen in these two kingdoms, so-called then, kingdoms, these, you know, portion of the great kingdom, that would happen, would happen in the latter days. And we are beginning to see a lot of that develop today. And this is why I've said for the last several years, keep your eye on Syria. And Syria has become a major problem, even over to the whole world. And so this is very interesting and it's right in line with prophecy. And so here is Syria, which is called the Northern Kingdom in the Bible. And I'll show you that to you in a, in a moment. And then the Southern Kingdom was Egypt here. And what developed out of this was that these two, and this is called the War of the Diadachi. They were always fighting each other. These people fought each other. They fought here. But Syria and Egypt got where they were always fighting each other, always fighting. And Palestine was the battlefield. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're always moving through Palestine, moving through, and they call it the glorious land in the Bible. And they were always moving back and forth. And Palestine was not a strong nation because they were subject to these Gentile powers. And this is why it was called the time of the Gentiles. And so there would be sometime the Egyptians, the Ptolemy dynasty that would be over them. And the, the Ptolemy dynasty lasted for, I think it was 12 uh, kings and the last one was Cleopatra and who was uh, who was Mark Anthony's boyfriend you know was killed by uh, by Octavius who later became uh, Caesar Augustus anyhow uh, they went over into the Roman Empire lasted for hundreds of years and uh, also the northern kingdom there was Seleucus and it was a dynasty that lasted so these two dynasties fought they fought back and forth back and forth uh, I had you looking while I go over in, uh, in the, uh, in that eighth chapter, uh, while I go about the, in all these things. I just want to show you something else in the eighth chapter. Go, I got you in chapter 11, I think. Go back to chapter eight for just a moment. Let me show you something else that happens during these minor kingdoms. I'll call them minor, but they become major. Uh, I'm going to pick up in 8.8 where I read the last one. Everybody there with me? Now stay with me because I'm going to go into some real interesting things right now. It says in 8.8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. 
And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now look at verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, pleasant land, that's Israel, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. Now this is talking about the little horn. A little horn crops up. And it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and it stamped upon them and so forth. And then it goes on to talk about this little horn. Now, let me sort of connect this together. If you go over to verse 22, I read this while, while ago, but I'm going to tie it in with 23. Look at verse 22 in that eighth chapter. Now, the, that being broken, that is that notable horn, there should be four should stand up for it. Four kingdoms should stand up out of the nation but not in his power. Verse 23 is a follow-up now to verse 22. And in the latter time of their kingdom. Now, so what uh, the, the angel is telling Daniel, these kingdoms are going to continue to exist, but it's going to be the latter time. And they have existed right to this day. Syria is still a nation. And Egypt is still a nation. And they have not been broken up and dispersed. There's, you know, the Macedonian has been broken up, but not, but not these nations. And it says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. And this is speaking of that reference in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, where he talks about 70 weeks are pronounced upon your people. When they shall have an end of all of this, uh, this Gentile dominion over Israel. And finally, God will restore Israel back to her great power and strength and her place that she has in the Lord. And so he says here in verse 23, and in the latter time of their king, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king, now look, look at this closely, of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences. I'm talking about the Antichrist here, and I'm talking about the little horn over here in verse 9. Fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And when you start studying the Antichrist, both in the 11th chapter, and I'll read some other verses to you in chapter 11 in just a moment. And also over in the book of Revelation, we realize that the power that the Antichrist has is satanic power. It's power that Satan will give him. So Daniel begins to talk about the Antichrist way over here in the book of Daniel. He starts at first in verse chapter 7, and we'll be looking at that in a few moments. And then he talks about it in chapter 8. And then he talks about further and more description of it in chapter 11. And we'll get to that in a moment. But everybody's still with me. And I'm going to, I'm talking about the Antichrist here. He said, understanding dark sentences and standing up. Verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully or amazingly. He shall destroy. In other words, his, his ability to destroy will not just be pure old force. But it'll be very scheming. It'll be very skilled in ways that uh, most people don't think of. He shall destroy amazingly and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Now, the mighty and the holy people here are the Jewish people because Daniel is writing in behalf of the Jewish nation and Gabriel is revealing to him what will happen to the Jewish people. Gentiles are not a factor except the Gentiles will have dominion over the Jewish people. That's all he's saying. But it's not talking about the church here. It's talking about Israel. And shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And so the Antichrist 
is going to really run roughshod over Israel for a period of time. We'll get into that in a few moments. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. We see that in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation extensively. And it says, and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. So he's going to have a lot of scheming ways that he's going to rise to power and be in control of things. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken. This is what will ultimately come to the Antichrist. He shall be broken without hand and the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Therefore, shut up thy, shut thou up the vision for it shall be for many days. It's going to be a long, long time away. Over in chapter 8, when he was talking about it, Gabriel was talking to him, uh, in the verse 17, he said, So he shall come near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and I fell upon my face. And he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. So we're talking here about the division under Alexander the Great, and the Syrians and the Egyptians, those two north and south empires, warring, but everything that he's talking about here is toward the end of time, whenever God begins to wrap everything up. That's where we're coming to now. That's what we're seeing today. And so he talks about that, and he he confirms that it'll be at the very end of time. Now, I'm going to have you go back to chapter 11. I want to show you something in chapter 11 here. Very interesting. Uh, I read verse 4 to 11.4, how that this, this kingdom would be divided and broke up. Look at uh, chapter 11, verse 4 with me for a moment. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken as Alexander the Great's income, broken up into four parts, and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven, not to his prosperity, uh, nor according to the dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. And the king of the south, and that would be Egypt. And then it goes on to say, verse 6, And in the end of the years they shall join themselves together. The king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north. And this term of the king of the south, the king of the north, is found 15 times in the first 15 verses of this 11th chapter here. 15 times it speaks about the king of the north, king of the south, their conflict back and forth. Uh, verse 8 identifies and shall also carry captives into Egypt, their God, which identifies the king of the south. And he goes on to say, uh, they're precious vessels of silver and gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So we know then the king of the south is Egypt, and the king of the north is, is the other kingdom, and it's north of them. So the king of the south shall come against his kingdom. So there's this tug of war that goes on and will go on all through periods of time, and it advances you right on down to the end time. Now, I'm going to save time here and jump over to verse 36, because whenever all of this comes down to the wrap-up, in verse 36, everybody stay with me. Have I lost anybody yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, a few of maybe. Just stay with me. <laughs> stay with me here. And I'm just telling you, this, this, this is prophecy and is very intricate here. And uh, look at verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. Now, this is talking about the king of the north. And uh, it, is, it, it mentions it down further down in the scriptures, I think, verse 40. And it says, at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him. 
So this is speaking of the king of the north in verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, which is Jehovah God, or is Elohim, as the Jewish people call him, which is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Moses, and so forth. And so that's why it's got a capital G there. And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. The indignation is whenever Israel shall serve her time of being scattered throughout all the world, and then God will bring them home and raise them up as his people and fight for them, so forth. Many scriptures that imply that. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire women. And the reason it says the God of his fathers, they think at this point, notice the word God is capital letter, G. They think that maybe the Antichrist will be a Jew. Because it says the regard, he will not regard the God, and he can use Elohim, the God of his fathers. So maybe he was a Jew, and I'm only leaving it there. Uh, I think Bob Jones University in, was a Carolina someplace, they stated, made the statement that the Antichrist will be a Jew, and they based it on this scripture. And boy, that was a rucus that went up all over, all over the place about from the Jewish people saying they're making the Antichrist now to be a Jew, you know, so forth. But I'll just leave it there. Everybody with me? Everybody understand where that comes from? Look at verse 38. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not. Shall he honor? Shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stone and pleasant things? I can show you in Revelations who that is that he honors. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God. He is going to, in other words, worship a strange God, a different God than anybody else has known, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. And verse 46, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, that's Egypt now, and the king of the north shall come against him. So we're talking about the king of the north here when we read from 36 down. And the king of the north shall push against him like a whirlwind and chariots and horsemen and with many ships and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, which is Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. I'm going to jump very quickly, very quickly to verse 45 to time here. Uh, and it says, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. That's on the on the temple mount he shall plant his palace there and yet he shall come to his end and none shall be able to help him now these scriptures are all in daniel and the apostles understood these verses they understood that it referred to the antichrist and i'm going to show you that i want you to go to second thessalonians chapter four with me chapter uh second yeah second thessalonians two it is i think it is second thessalonians two and three this is paul talking and he's writing to the Thessalonians, and I want you to notice here what he says to them. And he refers to this, and it's not called Antichrist. Only one place is the Antichrist called Antichrist. And that is in the book of First John, he refers to him, calls him Antichrist. John refers to him a couple of times. But this is what Paul says about the Antichrist. We call him that because it's just the title that we hook on. He's called a man of sin. He's called, he's called the beast in the book of Revelation and so forth. Look at 2-3. Everybody with me there? 
And no man, let no man deceive by their means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. That day shall not be revealed, that is the army again, and all those things is going to happen. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this Antichrist ultimately is going to place himself, his palace between the seas, Jerusalem. I don't know whether that's called between the seas because Jerusalem is right here. It's between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea right here. It's called the, between the seas. And uh, this is referring to that. And he shall plant his tabernacle between the seas. Uh, let me finish reading here. And showing himself that he is God. Now look down in verse 8. And then shall that wicked, notice the word wicked is capital letter referring to a proper noun and is referring to the Antichrist. That is, noun is person, place, or thing. And this is a proper person. It's, it's speaking of a particular person. And then shall that wicked one, we'll say, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And this all happens at Armageddon. It's all described in the 19th chapter of Revelation and is spoken of several times throughout the scriptures. 14th chapter of Zechariah is extensive with describing all of this. Very, very informative. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan and all power and signs and lying wonders. Now look at this very closely. This is Paul talking now. And this is before the book of Revelation is written. And it's all based on what he knows about the book of Daniel. Or maybe whatever God has revealed to him as well. And he goes on to say, and look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. In other words, he will be very deceptive. The Antichrist will be very deceptive. And, and he will have show signs and wonders. Let me just say something here, folks. If you follow the Lord for signs and wonders, you're in trouble. I'm serious. If what you want from God is healing and you want to see signs and you want to see God show his power, if that's what you need to walk with God, uh, you're going to get in trouble because even Satan can do that. I'm serious. He's got certain signs and wonders, but not like God. But that's what you follow for. But you've got to tap into God's love and his grace and his goodness. And there's sometimes when there are no signs or wonders from God, there's nothing from God. And you'd have to say, Lord, I believe in you and I trust in you by faith. This is what faith is all about. We have to believe the Lord and trust the Lord by faith. And uh, I know people that I, I had a brother in our church one time. And uh, I remember him walking out of church. And he says, and we had, I think that night we had several people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I said to him, uh, he said, yeah, I got to go on home and get ready. I got to go to bed early and get up early in the morning, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I, uh, he said, I said, boy, isn't this wonderful? These people getting the Holy Ghost. And he said, I want to see a lot of people get saved, Brother Myers. I want to see God really move and really work. And I thought to myself, if he doesn't see it, will he live for God? You know what I'm saying? We may not see what we want to see. God will let us see what he wants us to see. But we've got to believe the Lord and believe his word. Praise the Lord. I'm serious. But if we just follow the Lord for the miracles and for the miracles and for the miracles and everything. I mean, and if the Antichrist comes along and everything, we say, oh, there's miracles and here we go. 
You don't think that's not true? I'm going to finish reading this. Everybody still with me? I'm here in the verse 10 now. 2.10. And with all deceivements and wonders and them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. They're not interested in truth or the word. They're interested in miracles. People follow that. That's what you see in some of these big meetings sometimes. They're wanting to see the miraculous things. And, and I worry about people, even among our fellowship, who want to pursue just that. But you pursue the Lord and his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his word. And pursue the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, God will reveal himself inside your heart. It doesn't mean that he doesn't use signs and wonders to help us to get on track. But I'm just trying to tell you here today that you can't just always live to be looking for signs and wonders. Now, here's what it says in verse 11. I don't even have this as part of my notes, but I'm going to read it to you now. Verse 11, 12. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions. These people who seek just for signs and wonders. God shall send them strong delusions that they may believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So people who are just trying to follow those things. When I see this, when I see that. So I'm just trying to say to you, stay with the book. Stay with the word of God. God's word is right. And that's why I teach to you here these scriptures. I'm trying to show you from the word of God where all these things come from. Not that it's just something that I, I believe or somebody else believes or I've read in some book someplace. But it's all right here in the, in the Bible, praise the Lord, about uh, the Antichrist and so forth. Let me just uh, mention to you about, give you another verse or so here. Uh, this is found in First John. And uh, this is what he has to say in chapter 2 and verse 18. First John, not St. John, but First John. This is John's epistle that he wrote to the church. Uh, it says here, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last times. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. And he's speaking to other people. And verse uh, 22, it says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Messiah. And it says, he is antichrist, denieth the Father and the Son, that is, that Jesus Christ was both father and son. So it goes on to say, and then of course, over in a couple of verses over, he mentions it again over in verse chapter four and verse three. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come into flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist. So this is where John speaks about the antichrist and so forth. Now, I realize I've only got about five minutes here, but I want to talk to you about one other thing here. I want you to go back to Daniel 7 with me for a moment. I want to show you something else. We've been in chapter 8. And everybody still with me? We're in Daniel chapter 8. And we talked about the little horn that's uh, revealed in chapter 8 here. I want you to go to chapter 7 because in chapter 7, uh, Daniel has a vision that happened uh, four years, I think it was, or two years. I forgot, two or four years before the one that happened in chapter uh, chapter 8. And Daniel had a vision, and he saw these beasts come up out of the sea. And uh, one of them was a leopard. I'm just going to give you an overhead on that one. Uh, well, let me show you. I'll just show you this one. Uh, 
I think I showed you the leopard. This is the four beasts. The lion had wings, bear that had three ribs in his teeth. And then there is the leopard over here. And this is uh, the one that's mentioned in chapter 8. And then in chapter 7, he talks about a terrible beast that comes up. It's got ten horns on it, this terrible beast. And uh, I won't go any further. This is just, you know, man's creation here. And these are all symbolic of things. Uh, it goes on to say here in chapter 7, I want you to look very closely with me here in these verses. Uh, 7, 7. After this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong, signally it had a great iron teeth. That's that uh, last one that had the ten horns and all. It devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue of feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now look at verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. So both chapter 7 and chapter 8 speaks of a little horn that comes up of whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So that we know that this, this symbolic little horn is really speaking of about a man. And then he goes on to say how that he uh, wants to know what all this means. Verse 24, and the angel here explaining it says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, again the saints here, the Jewish people, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand. The Lord's going to allow this, and here's how long it's going to be. Here's how long it will be until a time, times, and the dividing of time. And a time is one year, times with an S is two years, and a dividing of a time is a half a year, three and a half years. This term or this period of time of three and a half years, and I won't go into it now because I've only got about three minutes left. But I'm going to get further into this and into the book of Revelation next week. But this uh, three and a half years is mentioned in the book of Daniel three or four times. And it's also mentioned in the book of Revelation about four times about this three and a half year period this year. It either refers to it as 42 months or it talks about 1,360 days or something like that. Uh, or it'll talk about it being a time, times and a half a time. And it's referred to it in that fashion. And so here, this is mentioned here in this verse 25 and shall be given into his hand until a time and inviting of time and so forth. Now, the irony of all of that is toward the end of the book of Daniel, or way over in the 12th chapter and uh, everything, uh, this is brought out by the angel that's revealing all this to Daniel. And, uh, and he says here in 12.7, And I heard the man clothed in linen that was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand in heaven, and he swear by him that liveth forever, uh, and it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And whom he shall when when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And the finishing process is what he began to talk about in chapter nine when he talked about Daniel's seventy weeks. That God is going to allow the Gentiles to rule and reign over Israel. That's why, folks, that today. Israel is still subject to Gentile powers. Benjamin Netanyahu, he needs the favor 
of the President of the United States. He needs Gentile powers to be on their side. They need that. There was a time they didn't need anything for nobody. They had what they had. And Israel is still a very powerful and strong force. But they need the American nation because they themselves know they're too vulnerable to all of these other powers. Iran right now is a great big threat. And Iran is connected and will be. You mark it down. Iran is going to be connected with Syria. It's Iraq. And right now it's Iraq. And those uh, those uh, people are working in, in Syria. They're working in Iraq. And eventually, and do I believe Assad is the Antichrist? No, I don't. I don't believe he's the one. He's the, he's the, the uh, dictator of uh, Iran, of uh, Syria. No, I don't believe Assad is. But I'm just trying to tell you here, somewhere in that Middle East, in that area, there's going to be the rise of an antichrist. Amen. And whether he'll be Muslim or whether he'll be some kind of, but whatever he is, he'll amount to be nothing. And he's going to make peace with Israel for three and a half years. I'm going to show you that in the scriptures next week. For three and a half years, and in the middle of that, he's going to break that covenant. And then he's going to take, declare war on Israel for three and a half years, and Israel will go through what's called Jacob's Trouble. It's talked about over in the book of, of in prophecy in the Old Testament, a couple of places, and also spoken there in the book of Revelation. And God has got his hand on everything, folks. He's got his hand on the church. Praise the Lord. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. Dead in Christ shall rise first, and we'll rise to meet the Lord in the air. That's our hope. Following us, there's going to be a terrible tribulation period. I can show you in the Bible where I believe there's going to be nuclear war. I can show you that in the Bible. Chapter 6 in Revelation, chapter 9 in Revelation. It's going, to be, it's going to be nuclear war. And this is why you're seeing these rogue nations now increasing and building and all of that. It's showing us we're getting close to the end time. What's the answer, Brother Myers? Get saved, live for God, walk with the Lord, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with his spirit. Without his spirit, we are none of his. If that spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in us, it shall also quicken our mortal body. Amen. And we'll rise and meet the Lord in the air when he comes back. No man knows the day or the hour. Believe the word. We know he's coming back. Paul died believing it. Peter died believing it. They gave their, all the apostles died giving their life except John, the revelator. They all died giving, they all died and gave their life because they believed everything that was in the word. So you and I, let's believe the word. Praise the Lord. And one of these days, the trumpet of sound, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let's stand together, and let's lift our hands, and let's just worship God. And would you thank the Lord right now for his great grace. Lord, we love you. We thank you how great you are. What a wonderful Savior you are. What a wonderful friend you are. You love your people, Lord. You love your church. Help us, God, to stay in tune and stay abreast, God, with all the things around us that we might know it's time for your coming. In Jesus' name, we praise and love you. Amen.